0: Everyone, welcome to Strong Mind, Strong Body. So, my question for you today is Can emotional agility boost resilience and build self compassion? I believe that when it comes to resilience and overcoming setbacks, emotional agility is key. When we learn how to boost our emotional agility, we're better able to navigate life's challenges in ways that propel us forward rather than hold us back. So, I'm Angie Miller. I'm the host of Strong Mind, Strong Body. And I'm so glad you joined me here today to talk about self compassion and resilience and emotional agility. I hope that I give you some tools to harness the power of these so that you can live your best life. So, what I've learned over the years is that my body is my tool for emotional and physical health. I recognize that from the beginning when Well, it wasn't actually from the beginning because I never really was a sporty spice growing up. I recognized it after college when I moved to a city, to Kansas City, where I didn't know anyone. And I decided that the gym was a good place to meet people. I guess I decided it was better than going to the nightclubs, right? I had tried exercising, aka running, when I was in college. And I had tried some old school workouts. I'm going to really date myself here. I'm talking Jane Fonda. But nothing really stuck. I really never found that love or that passion for exercise. So I didn't really find my inner sporty spice or recognize how powerful my body could be or what it was capable of or how transformative it could be to help me keep my emotions stable and to keep depression at bay, which runs in my family. I didn't recognize that until I joined that gym. So what I found out, though, is that in learning about my body and exploring what my body could do, it boosted my confidence. And as I became stronger physically, I became more empowered mentally and emotionally. And really, the way it started was when I moved to Kansas City, I joined a Bally's gym and I started teaching group fitness classes because one of the instructors picked me up and said, hey, I think you should do this. I think you would enjoy it. And in that, I found my love for exercise, but mostly because it was in a community. But throughout that journey of teaching other women and men exercise and empowerment through exercise, I felt empowered. That sense of being one with your body became very transformative to me. And the gym workouts that I did started transferring into real life. And all that emotional and physical strength, or all that physical strength, I should say, transferred into emotional strength and this determination to pursue my passion, which for me has always been very dynamic. I do a lot of writing and speaking, and I work in mental health, but always with fitness and wellness as my foundation. So in recent years, though, I've had some setbacks. And like all setbacks, it's required that I have some emotional agility, that um, it's created situations where fitness, where it's still a part of my life, sometimes has to take a back seat. Maybe I need to do more restorative work or m- more walking, uh, less load, less impact. The setbacks have been everything from more emotional setbacks like some family illness and loss to even some discoveries of family secrets. And those didn't those didn't really impact my physical workouts, but without the emotional agility, I could have slipped into a place where maybe I didn't feel like I had the emotional strength to exercise. But in the midst of, of all of this, what I really discovered... Was that again, my body became my tool. No matter what was happening in my life, physically or emotionally, my body was how I moved through it. My body kept my emotions fluid and that helped me to stay stable. But in recent years, I've had a couple of medical setbacks. And it was kind of my first time since my love for exercise began that I began to kind of question my body. And I've even gone through periods where I feel like, hey, you know, I feel like my body betrayed me, like a friend who let me down. It was like, hey, you know what? I thought, I thought we had this agreement. I exercise you. I feed you well most of the time. I treat you with dignity and respect. And I show you that you're valuable to me. And in return, body, you're going to give me good health, physical and emotional strength. And best of all, you're going to help me fight back against my genetics where heart disease runs rampant. But like many of us, it turns out that my body kind of had something different in mind. I didn't actually escape heart disease. And that was and still is kind of a tumultuous journey for my mind to manage without going down a slippery slope. I've had and I still have some moments where, you know, I stay true to exercise because I believe it's my best path, best path for the best outcome, because it is. And the reality is that I know that if I didn't exercise, I think my present circumstances and my long-term outcome would look very different. And I know this, not just because my doctors tell me this, but because I see it firsthand in my family. I see how you know, heart disease can present if you don't exercise regularly, if you don't move your body regularly, if you don't eat in a healthy way, and if you don't fight the good fight. So I think we all have to do that. We all have to maintain perspective and kind of count our blessings. So Fast forward, I had something else come my way recently, and this is the kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. The thing that really made me think about emotional agility and that really made me think about resilience and really made me think about how I have leaned on movement for so long And sometimes I can't lean on movement to build my resilience and to keep my emotions stable. And in those situations, what do I need to do in order to stay what I call kind of above the line? So again, I'm Angie Miller. This is strong mind, strong body. And I'm really talking to you about emotional agility and resilience and how being agile and flexible in our thoughts can build resilience, but also the role of self-compassion. So Recently, and I shouldn't really say recently because it's been going on for some time. I've had some rib issues, if you will, some chronic rib pain that I've been dealing with for quite some time. And I won't tell you how long, because then I'm going to have to out myself on how long I let things or I tend to let things go before I actually address them. But the rib thing is something that's called slipping rib syndrome And for me, it means that my eighth and my ninth and my 10th costal cartilages are no longer connected or fused. Therefore, the nerves are kind of creating some real pain, if you will, as the ribs are moving and sliding over one another and creating some irritation. And on the other side, my ninth costal cartilage is also separate from my eighth. And so on a scan, it looks like I suffered blunt force trauma. Looks like maybe I was out on the football field and somebody took a helmet to my torso, but it turns out that they didn't. And it is something that happens to some of us. There's not a lot of research devoted to it. And I'm seeking answers as we speak. It seems like surgery might be my best option to kind of plate those ribs and hold them in place so that they stop kind of moving around and fighting each other for space inside my torso. You know, it reminds me of when I was pregnant and I would feel the baby move. It's not a baby and it's not a wonderful feeling. So needless to say, this, this pain that I've been dealing with has given me the sense that I don't have control. And I don't know about you, but I like the sense that I have control. I like the sense that I've got this. But in this situation, I have more questions than answers. I don't know the cause. I don't yet have a solution. And sometimes that can lead us down a really ugly path. Sometimes I'm better than others. Sometimes I want to cry big, ugly tears. And then sometimes I get angry. But the truth is, we all want to feel like we're in control. And so often, we actually have so much less control than we believe. So throughout the years, for me to share something like this with you in this situation um, would be It has been extremely difficult for me, right? My mom was always very private. It's always run in my family to be very private. Keep your secrets behind closed doors. So it almost felt like growing up that it would be gratuitous if I were to share something that's going on in my world physically or emotionally, like I'm complaining or I'm being needy. Um, And after all, I mean, look at other people, look what they deal with. I mean, my thing is nothing compared to, but in the end, we all have our stuff. And I believe that it's not a contest whose hardship is harder than someone else's. It's just this universal experience that we all have. And we benefit, I think, by knowing that other people too are going through experiences. And when we feel empathy for their pain, we can offer them support so that they know they're not alone. So, as I was thinking about self compassion and emotional agility and resilience, I really started to reflect on how I've been using those things to my benefit throughout this time and how much I've had to lean on other tools outside of my physical self to move myself through all this kind of influx of emotion, if you will. And I've realized that if I can transform my experience with these, with self-compassion, with emotional agility, to build my personal resilience, if I can transform my experience with them to navigate these challenges, then I hope that I can help you do the same and you can help someone else do the same. So if I'm going to do that, I kind of have to get vulnerable, right? So I thought that it might be the time to share that with you. Because the reality is that all of us have these go-to tools that we go to when we go through hardship. And sometimes we need our match and our go-to tools no longer work. So for me, I had to get fluid in order not to get stuck. And I had to see what else was available to me. So if I can't use my body because I'm in pain, what can I use and what can I do? And I have found that more than ever, I've had to lean into self-compassion and self-compassion is not an easy thing for me, right? So it's one of the hardest things that I kind of struggle with. I've had to work really hard when I'm doubting myself or shaming myself or wondering if somehow I caused this and some of the work that I've done. Um, I have to ask myself, what about some self-compassion? similar to the compassion that I offer other people. So what is self-compassion? Well, self-compassion is giving compassion to oneself in instances where we might perceive that maybe we're not good enough, or maybe we're somehow failing, or we've let ourselves down, or we're not living up to ours or someone else's expectations. A lack of self-compassion can lead to shaming and a lot of sickness, So to me, self-compassion is about being warm and forgiving of ourselves when we're in emotional or physical pain so that we can avoid self-judgment or criticism. To me, self-compassion is about recognizing that suffering and setbacks are part of the human experience. So if we reach out for support rather than isolate, which is our temptation, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And we allow ourselves to say, you know what, maybe I'm not my best self right now, but I'm doing my best in this moment. Self-compassion, it it reminds me of Carl Rogers. He was best known for his person-centered approach to therapy. He talked about it as being unconditional positive regard, not just toward our clients as clinicians, but also toward ourselves. Albert Ellis also called it self-acceptance. So the thing is, how do we build self-compassion? Because again, for me, that's been a long, long journey. But I will tell you that one of the ways that I've really learned to build self-compassion is by practicing mindfulness and meditation. I took an eight-week course through UMass, through Jon Kabat-Zinn's program. And it was a hard journey for me because sitting down and sitting with myself has never been easy. But mindfulness and meditation, what they do is they promote non-judgment. They promote an open state of mind that invites us to explore with curiosity rather than judgment how we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And when we practice meditation, what they really teach us is that we kind of step back and we become an observer of our thoughts and feelings without trying to suppress or deny them. Because so many of us were like, ooh, I don't like the way this feels. I don't like the way I feel right now. I just need to get rid of these feelings. I need to not deal with these feelings. But really that doesn't make the feelings go away. It just makes them knock louder. So meditation says, and I've used this analogy before, It's kind of like a driver's ed where you learn to turn into the skid instead of turning away because you'll tailspin. So meditation says turn into the heavy emotion and experience it without judgment or condemnation. Just allow it because it's information that's telling you something. So you know, also mindfulness teaches us not to kind of over identify to those feelings. So maybe I recognize that I'm feeling angry or I recognize that I feel like my body is betraying me, but it doesn't mean that that's a fact. It just means that I can, I can know that I'm feeling that and not over to it and believe that it is the absolute truth because not every thought we think is true and not every feeling is a fact. So in being mindful, we're aware that we're thinking something, but we don't, as Stephen Hayes says in acceptance and commitment therapy, we don't buy in. Well, it's like a fish on a hook, right? Our our thoughts hook us and we're like, oh, you know what? I am angry and da 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 da. But when we don't buy in, we don't allow ourselves to be hooked by that thought or emotion. And we don't ruminate over it. So we don't overfocus on negativity. So keep in mind, though, that self-compassion is not self-pity. And I think that sometimes that's where people go with it. Well, then it means I'm feeling sorry for myself. But we're not saying self-compassion is we're all going to just play the victim here. We're going to refuse to deal with difficult situations because after all this happened to us. Well, I'm not saying we play the victim. I'm not saying that these are things are happening to us I'm saying that we're experiencing them and what we do with that experience is what matters. It's okay to feel empathy and understanding toward ourselves during difficult times, just like we feel that toward other people when they're going through difficult times. But we still wanna actively engage in the situation and seek support throughout. So in the end, research states That so those individuals who are more self-compassionate experience greater psychological well-being. They experience greater life satisfaction. They're more optimistic. They're more curious and they're more emotionally resilient, which means if you were to flip that around, self-compassionate people are less self-critical. They're less driven to perfectionism. They're less likely to ruminate. And they're less likely to suppress thoughts and feelings. Therefore, they're probably less likely to feel, to experience depression and anxiety. So again, I'm Angie Miller. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body. And I'm talking to you personally from my own experience about self-compassion and resilience and why emotional agility matters. So I have had to learn how to be more self-compassionate, which means I've had to learn how to judge myself less. And to let go of this perfectionistic, these perfectionistic tendencies that I have to start opening up and asking for help and accepting that while I have these things, they don't have to define me. They're just requiring that I pay attention and I give myself some love and support so that I can move through it more effectively. And last but not least, when it comes to self-compassion, remember that we teach others how to treat us. So if we're not kind to ourselves, we're teaching others that it's okay for them not to be kind to us. Self-compassion is our way of saying to ourselves, I'm human. I'm not perfect. I'm navigating the life the best way that I can. And again, it's about building self-love and compassion. So now you're probably wondering, okay, Angie, that's self-compassion. But what is this emotional agility thing? And where does this come in? Well, let's just say that without emotional agility, I wouldn't know how to look at my thoughts differently. I would probably get stuck thinking that all my thoughts were true and all my feelings were facts and I would be rigid in my thinking and rigidity is no one's friend. So emotional agility to me is about the power of choice. We don't have a choice over what happens to us, but we definitely have a choice over how we respond. So to me, emotional agility is the opposite of rigidity. It's about being flexible with our thoughts and feelings so we can respond in the best way possible to events and situations so that we can be agile, if you will. And not get stuck on thinking that it's our way or the highway, or that our way is better. Or my favorite one, things should go a certain way. Kind of like how I shouldn't have rib pain, or I shouldn't be dealing with heart disease because I exercise, therefore, don't I have a hall pass? So emotional agility is linked to emotional intelligence and resilience. Because when we're more emotionally intelligent, we're more aware of And we're more in control of our emotions. It also means that we accept that at the end of the day, if we're lucky and we're living life fully, we experience a full spectrum of emotions, which is perfectly normal, right? Emotional agility just means that we hold those emotions loosely. We don't see them as the truth. We see them as information. Hey, my body and my mind are giving me feedback. What is it telling me that I can use in a way to move forward in a more positive direction? So how can this information guide me to make value-driven decisions? Susan David wrote an amazing book about emotional agility. I love that book and how it helps us navigate setbacks with greater ease so that we don't get stuck. And again, we're more agile in our responses. In a nutshell, if I had to give emotional agility a word, I would call it adaptability, right? We maybe know what worked before, but we also have to realize that it may not work now. So we might have to find new tools and adapt and adjust to these new circumstances. So to me, emotional agility is like focusing on what is working versus what isn't, or what you can versus what you can't do, or reframing thoughts. So what if I'm not a failure? What if my body hasn't betrayed me? What if this isn't a forever thing? It's also about focusing on possibility or coulds versus shoulds. And it's about flexibility versus rigidity. So Viktor Frankl, you know, he wrote... um, Man's Search for Meaning, another amazing, amazing book. He was in Nazi Germany in a concentration camp. And he always said that we have to give our pain purpose, that if we share our pain with others and we can help others with their pain, then therefore we've made good on our own pain. We found purpose in what's happening to us. So he says that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response And our response is where we have the ability to grow and have freedom, right? So this happens to us, but then how we're going to respond gets to determine how we're going to move forward. So emotional agility to me equals personal growth and freedom, the freedom to choose our responses, which is where we have positive control. I don't have control over what happened, but I do have control over what I do. So that we don't react, we respond in a guided, measured way. According to her book, or according to Susan in her book, she says that emotional agility or that emotionally agile people demonstrate flexibility and dealing with our fast-changing complex world. They're able to tolerate high levels of stress and endure setbacks while still remaining engaged and open and receptive. She says that they understand that life isn't always easy, but they continue to act according to their most cherished values and long-term goals. So how do we build emotional agility? Well, I have some tips. You probably have your own tips. I'm sure you have what works for you or what has worked for you. I'm going to tell you some of the things that have worked for me during this time. One of the things that's worked the most is for me to be as present as possible, to really, really dig deep into being with myself, and to practice mindfulness and meditation, so that I don't get hooked by ugly thoughts and emotions, and so that I can be more fluid in my thoughts and recognize that if only for today, I might feel bad. If only for this moment, I might need to cry big tears. If only for right now, I might be in pain. But every moment is different. And every day is a new day full of possibility. So another way that I've built my emotional agility is I'm a massive journaler. I journal and I journal and I journal and then I journal some more. I write pretty much everything in order to work through strong emotion. And another way that I have used is frankly, get a good therapist or a good coach. Okay. So you don't hold on to things so that you don't use suppression and try to pretend that if you don't deal with this, it's going to go away because it's not, it's just going to knock louder. I've also learned how to acknowledge my emotions without buying in, without getting hooked by them and getting reeled in and getting stuck. I've learned how to change the radio station in my mind. When I start going into self-criticism and judgment, I've learned to say, you know what, Angie, you need to change the station. That station keeps playing that song over and over again, and it's hooking you and it's doing you no good. So change the station. I've also learned to shift my narrative. From what I you know, must do, which is like I must use my body to work through things, to what I could do, which is I've had to lean into walking more, journaling more, opening up more, sitting with myself more, slowing down. Ah, that's that's the hardest one. And realizing that this isn't forever. So my goal for you is that no matter what you're going through, Stay true to your values and your purpose. Stay true to your why. Why do you do what you do? And why is that important to you? And be intentional in your goals and decisions. So no matter what's going on in my world physically, I can still help people. And in fact, I can help them more because I've learned to have more compassion to myself. Therefore, I can extend that compassion to others. And then last but not least, take a one day at a time what's one right thing that you can do today? I can't lift heavy weights right now, but I can get on and I can talk to you in my podcast, right? I can't teach fitness classes the way that I used to teach them, but I can still guide and walk people through it. And I can give them a lot of verbal and auditory and emotional tools to help them feel better about the experience. In fact, I would venture to say I'm more engaged in the experience versus doing it with them. So staying purpose-driven is important. And then remember that in the end, I think that self-compassion And emotional agility are so interrelated. They're like the best marriage. They help us become more resilient and they help us move through life's difficulties. They help us remember that we have the power to choose not what happens to us, but how we respond and how we move forward. And they remind us that when we're flexible, it's an act of courage. It's an act of courage not to dig our heels in, but instead, to walk lightly, tread lightly, to explore and experience and live fully the best way that we can. So I'm Angie Miller. I'm so glad that you joined me here to talk about emotional agility and resilience and the power of self-compassion. I hope I hear from you. I hope you share some of the ways that you have practiced self-compassion and emotional agility. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll see you next week.